time of worship. I love gathering together with my church family every single Sunday to worship our great God. And you know, every single time that we gather and we worship, every time we gather and open up God's word, his presence is with us. And he wants to speak to us and challenge us and change us and make us more like Jesus. And so as we enter into God's word tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks directly to your heart. And it's always so awesome how he tells us exactly what we need to hear. Over the last several weeks, we've been studying the book of Exodus as a church. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for a pastor that brings the fire every single Sunday. This sermon series has been amazing. And it's even bringing the story of Exodus to life for me in a brand new way. And I love a true story. Anybody else like get excited when you're watching a movie or you're starting a new series on Netflix and the words pop up based on actual events? Whenever that pops up, I'm always like, babe, it's a true story. And he's like, I I can read. (laughs) But I get so excited. I feel like I just care about the story a little bit more. I want to know all the details. And usually at the end, I'll Google it and see like fact versus fiction, you know. And tonight we're going to be talking about one of the most epic true stories of all time. Crossing the Red Sea. Now over 25 movies have been made about the story of Exodus and crossing the Red Sea. And as we've been in this sermon series, we've actually been watching a lot of them. And some of them are like really good. Like the old school Ten Commandments. It's like highly recommend. Like, it's 17 hours long, but it's worth it. And then you have the classic Prince of Egypt. I mean, so good, right? It's like every 90s kid is like, yeah, Prince of Egypt. But then there's also some movies about Exodus that are just, like, really bad. They're just horrible. And I get so irritated when they try to change the story. Like, Exodus doesn't need any embellishment. Like, it doesn't need your help. Leave the details alone. It's cool enough already. And tonight we're getting to the climax of the story, which is kind of crazy because of all the things that have already happened that we haven't reached the climax yet. But tonight we're going to be talking about crossing the Red Sea. It's kind of crazy that burning the burning bush isn't, The climax, it's a bush that didn't burn. The 10 plagues that destroyed Egypt. And last week, Pastor Ryan talked about Passover as the angel passed over the Israelites' house and saved the firstborn son. But crossing the Red Sea is a vital part of the story. I mean, not only is it epic, it's so important. Because Passover without the Red Sea would have been an unfulfilled promise. And it goes all the way back to a promise that God gave through Joseph 400 years before they crossed the Red Sea. In Genesis 50, it says, But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
And the Hebrews have been holding on to this promise ever since. Passover saved them, but the Red Sea freed them. And salvation and freedom, they go hand in hand for all of God's people. And sometimes in church, I see people get saved, but they don't fully live in the freedom that is available to them. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're sitting in the room or you're watching online and you're trapped in a cycle of sin that you feel like you just can't get out of. Or maybe you're just gripped by fear and worry. Or maybe you just feel stuck and you're just a little out of sync with God's plan for your life. When we read in scripture, we see that God didn't just want to destroy the Egyptians. He wanted to get his people out of Egypt. And God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to set you free. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> like, I'm all for that. But how do I get from where I'm at right now to where God wants me to be? So whatever is holding you captive today, the first thing that I want you to know is that God will show you the way out. Pastor Ryan and I have been married for over 10 years now, and we try to go on date night at least every other week. And the story I'm about to tell you has happened so many times over the last 10 years that I cannot actually give you an accurate number, okay? But more often then Pastor Ryan would probably like to admit, <laughs> we will be in the car driving to our destination on our way to date night. And he will start telling me a story or explaining a financial podcast to me that he just listened to about Bitcoin. And I'm totally listening like I care. And he'll get so caught up in the moment. And he's so into the story. And I know where we're going. And I just start looking around the exits that we're passing on the freeway. And I'm thinking, you know, I just don't think we're going the right way right now. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way with God? Have you ever been in a situation where you look around and you don't know what's happening and you look up to God and you say, hey, God, I don't think we're going the right way right now. And this is exactly how the Israelites were feeling in Exodus 13. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites had finally been given their freedom. Now all they had to do was get like a million plus people, all their livestock and all their stuff to their new homeland. Like no big deal at all, right? Now... Seems to me like if you're traveling with that big of a group, the shortest way is probably the best. I mean, like, I am the mom of one toddler. And I know that a trip through Target 
without catastrophe is a miracle. So I cannot even imagine traveling through the desert with this many people, especially when you look at the map. I mean, let's look at the map for just a minute tonight. This is where they started, Ramesses, right here. Canaan, the promised land, is up here. The Red Sea is down here. Now, if I'm Moses, getting ready to lead the people out of Egypt, and I'm looking at the map, I'm for sure going that way. But God says, actually, let's go this way. If I'm Moses, I have a few questions. Because it doesn't make any sense. It's hard for us to understand why taking the long way to a destination would ever be better. Especially in 2022. I mean, we live in a day when faster is better and efficiency rules, right? We live in the land of microwaves and FaceTime and fast food and time management skills and productivity. And because of all of these things, we have become ridiculously impatient. I mean, just think about FaceTime for a minute. We can call anyone around the world and see their face in 10 seconds. Not that long ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody that you loved, that lived far away, you had to write a letter, put it in the mail, send it away. It would take weeks to get there. Then the person you wanted to talk to had to read your letter. Then they had to get around to responding to your letter. Write it, send it in the mail, and you had to wait for more weeks to get your answer. Today, if my mom doesn't answer my phone call the first time, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? But we have to understand that God exists outside of time. And he is not concerned with the same things that we are concerned about. Sometimes God is going to send you on the longer route. Sometimes it's going to be the scenic way. Sometimes it's going to be the windy road in the opposite direction that you wanted to go. But he'll call you to serve people before he lets you lead people. He'll develop your character as a single person before he brings your spouse into your life. He'll ask you to be faithful with a little before he trusts you with a lot. And these can all seem like really frustrating seasons to us in the moment, can't they? But they're actually faith-building, character-developing opportunities. It took faith for the Israelites to start heading in what seemed like the wrong direction. And whereas before at the burning bush, Moses was full of doubt and questions, this time he did not question the weird route. He just obeyed. And he figured if God was faithful to save us from death in Egypt, he'll be faithful to show us the way out of Egypt. And even if it's not the way I would have picked. So what did they do? They trusted God and they started moving. Exodus 13 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud 
to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Incredible. This is God manifesting in physical form to lead his people. And these pillars were massive. They probably reached from heaven all the way down to earth. So that no matter where you were at in the crowd, whether you were in the front or all the way in the back, if you were the tallest or the shortest, you could see that God was with you. Now, we have to remember that at this time, the Hebrews, they did not have a personal relationship with God. Moses was the go-between, but through the cloud and fire, they could see God. They could feel his presence, and they could experience his provision. And the pillars served very important purpose. First, the pillar gave direction. The pillar showed the Israelites where God wanted them to go and how to get there. When it moved, the people moved. When it stopped, the people camped. Where it went, they followed. It was like a huge game of red light, green light. <laughs> but through the pillar, the people taught, were taught to just simply trust and obey. The pillar also gave protection from the enemy and from the elements. It gave them shade in the day, light at night, and at one point the fire actually protected them from the Egyptians. Now you might be hearing this and be thinking, hey God, um, can I get a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire too? I mean, could you imagine waking up in the morning and there's a pillar of fire in your room straight from heaven and you're like, good morning, God, let's crush this day. It's hard to believe, but in a sense, you can. You can have pillars in your life because God is guiding you too. First, our cloud is the Bible. In Exodus, it says the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them. And the Bible does the same exact thing for us. Every word of scripture is God breathed and leads us in every single area of our life. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. But unlike the Israelites who had to hear the word of God through Moses, we can carry it in our pocket everywhere we go. The Israelites, they didn't know what was going to happen next, let alone the end of the story. But as Christians today, we know the end. Through Jesus, our end is eternal life in heaven and victory and freedom forever. So you don't know what to do? You have big questions about life? You're struggling with sin? Read the Bible. We have more access to God's word than any generation in history. And we are also the most biblically illiterate. And it's so sad to see 
people struggling through life because they didn't know the guidance that was already written down. They just had to read it. Second, our fire is the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. You know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Listen, we live in the later and the Holy Spirit is inside of us. The power of God was obviously in the pillar of fire, but now the power of God lives inside of you. And he's speaking to you with a still, small voice. He's bringing peace in the storm, comforting you when you're hurting, strengthening you when you're tired. You've got something better than a pillar. You have a comforter. You have something better than fire. You have a friend who will never leave you. When you don't know what to do, he's there. He's there to lead you and guide you, encourage you, comfort you, and remind you of truth. And because we have the Bible to guide us and the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can have confidence in living and going God's way. But don't be surprised when outsiders, non-believers are confused when you follow God's ways. Exodus 14 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back. They are to encamp by the sea. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Now, on one hand, it would be a little confusing to watch a large mass of people all walking this way, and all of a sudden they're like, actually, let's turn back. Let's go this way. I mean, that is a little confusing. But if you're a new Christian, you're new to Christianity, let me give you a little heads up tonight. God is going to ask you to do some things that seem weird. But it's actually a good thing. Because people will start to notice that you're being a little weird. And they'll look at you and they'll say, you used to do these things, but now you don't. What's up with you? Or you used to talk this way and now you don't. What's up with you? And you can say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Do you want to come to church with me? And listen. I say this with all of the pastoral love in my heart, but if you say you are a Christ-following, Bible-believing Christian, and nothing about your life is confusing to a non-believer, you're probably living life wrong. Because the Christian life is weird to the world. But we're not trying to fit into the world, are we? We're trying to follow Jesus and bring God glory in every single thing that we do. So when a friend comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to hang out this Sunday? You want to grab dinner? And you say, oh, no, I'm sorry. I go to church every Sunday night. Would you like to come with me? They're probably going to think you're weird. <laughs> or when your family member says, wait, you give 10% of all your increase to your church? And you say, oh, yes, and I give above and beyond and I'm happy about it? 
you're weird. But we know that what the world calls foolish is actually the wisdom of God. So we can trust his word because it's true. And we can follow his ways because they are higher than our ways and they lead to life. But as we follow the way God shows us, we will face opposition. Exodus 14 says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So Pharaoh's sitting there thinking, wait a minute. I just let all of my free labor force go. What was I thinking? Gather up, boys, we're heading out. (laughs) And he goes after them. And then it goes on to say in verse eight, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now, when I was studying for this sermon, I'm being honest, this verse surprised me. It surprised me, and I read it like three times to make sure I was reading it right. It says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he pursued the Israelites. Wait, I thought this was an attack of the enemy, but it was actually God's plan. And tonight, you need to know that not everything that feels like an attack of the enemy actually is one. I mean, by all human wisdom, the world's most powerful army with all of the most advanced weapons of the day charging after you kind of seems like an attack of the enemy. But it wasn't. God was in control. Just like he always is. And sometimes God will orchestrate events in your life. And the situation at first will look really bad. At first, it will feel like a storm. At first, you might wonder, God, where are you? But eventually, that situation is going to bless you. And I'm sure when they first came to the Red Sea, they wondered if God had failed them. But they were exactly where God wanted them to be. And I've experienced this in my own life. Several situations where I looked around one day and I was like, what is even happening right now? Or thinking, God, I thought I was following your ways. I thought you were doing what you wanted me to do, but it feels like I'm not where you want me. Have you ever been there? So often we worry that God's going to let us down when in reality, he's setting us up for a greater miracle. Psalm 77 says, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. The pathway was there all along. The Israelites just couldn't see it. But God knew. He knew the miracle that was coming. 
In the moment, though, the Israelites really didn't see it this way. They're in the desert. They turn and they look up and they saw the mighty Egyptian army chasing after them. And they were terrified. And because of their fear, they started grumbling about being in the desert and complaining that Moses had led them out of Egypt. I mean, they had been out of Egypt for like five minutes at this point, and they're already complaining and doubting God's plan. How quickly they forgot who truly was leading them and directing their steps. Now, I'm not really sure how it's possible that you could have an actual pillar of fire from heaven to earth at the front of your camp, and you're still terrified, but no judgment on the Israelites. I mean, I'm sure we can all relate to circumstances feeling impossible, and we have no way out. But in these moments, we have to remember at all times, with absolutely no exceptions, God will make a way out. Here the Israelites are. They feel trapped. They have nowhere to go. They're complaining to Moses. They're scared. Moses is crying out to God, Lord, help us, save us. We need you. And we come to one of my favorite verses in this entire passage of scripture. Exodus 14, 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Sometimes we're praying about something we know God has already told us the answer to. We're just too afraid to take the steps that God wants us to take. And what we really need to do is stop praying and start doing what God has told us to do. Sometimes we just have to move. God said to Moses, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. God gave Moses simple instructions for a mighty miracle. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand. That's it. How could it be that simple? Because the power wasn't in Moses. The power wasn't in the rod. The power was in God. Moses just had to trust and obey. This is similar to the greatest miracle of all time, salvation. Simple instructions for a mighty miracle. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How can it be that simple? Because the power of salvation is not in our hands, but in God's. We just have to trust him, and God does the rest. He performs the miracle just like he always does. Now, I want you to really picture this scene with me tonight. I know we've all seen the Prince of Egypt, but just go with me for a minute. Here the Israelites are. They're camped in the desert. On one side is the Red Sea. They're tired. They're exhausted from their day's journey. And they look up 
and they see the Egyptian army coming after them. They were completely trapped and they had absolutely nowhere to go. And let's remember at the beginning of Moses' life, he was left in a basket in the water and he was saved. And it was at that time he was named Moses, which means drawn out of the water. He was drawn out of the water as a baby and he's about to be drawn out of the water again. Exodus 14 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. What? This is amazing. It makes me want to sing, There can be miracles if you believe. I mean, this is an amazing miracle that, that is happening right before their eyes. It's incredible. But what does it mean for us today, over 3,500 years later? First, it shows us that nothing is impossible with God. The problem that looks big to you looks small to him. Now, we're not trying to cross a big body of water, but we do have needs, don't we? God didn't tell you to stretch out your hand over the water in faith, but he did tell you to lift up your needs in prayer by faith. And when you do, watch as God comes through. And sometimes he will come through in the way that you expect. And sometimes he will come through in a way that you did not expect. But he will always come through. Second, this is an awesome story of something that actually happened. And it's a picture of something greater that would happen. God brought the Israelites through the Red Sea as a picture of your salvation from death to life and from sin to righteousness. We have our own watershed moment when we're baptized as believers. 1 Corinthians 10 says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. As they're getting ready to walk through the sea, I would imagine that it was probably a little scary. I mean, like, what's holding up the walls of water? Not sure. But they had to decide every single one of them individually to follow Moses through the water. And as they did, as they followed him into the sea, they were being delivered from bondage and walking into freedom. It was the end of an era. It was a death to their life of slavery in Egypt and birth to their new life of freedom. And as they walked through the water, they were being united to Moses, who experienced his own deliverance from water many years before. And in the same way, we are baptized into Jesus Christ, who experienced his own baptism and resurrection. 
And through faith, we're united with him in his death and buried with him so that his resurrection power will be alive in us. Baptism is so important in the life of every believer. So if you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus and have not been water baptized, what are you waiting for? The time is now. Don't wait any longer. And as we're wrapping up tonight, the last thing that I want you to know, that as God leads you out of bondage, as he leads you out of slavery, God will keep you from going back. God made a supernatural way out, but he didn't leave the door open for them to go back in. It was like the Red Sea had a sign up that said, exit only. And we will talk about this more in future weeks. But there were actually a lot of times that the the Israelites wanted to go back. They wanted to leave their life of freedom and go back to their life as slaves. And you might have times that you long for the old days. Or you feel tempted to go back to sin. But hear me tonight. That life is over The old you is dead and gone. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So when you see your old friends living the life you used to live, if a little part of you feels tempted, just remember, that's not who I am anymore. If the enemy brings guilt and shame of your old mistakes, be confident. That's not who you are anymore. You are a new creation. Your old life is gone and your new life has begun. God also used this miracle to protect them from the schemes of the enemy. As the Israelites were walking through the sea to freedom, Pharaoh didn't give up. He was still trying to take them back into slavery. Exodus 14 says, The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. I mean, that's commitment. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. I mean, I can imagine as the Israelites are walking through the Red Sea, as they're in the middle of their miracle, they hear the chariots of the Egyptians coming. And they turn to see the army coming towards them. And they think, maybe if just for a moment, what happens if God's plan fails, 
And at first, it might have seemed that way, but God was not done fighting their battle. God wanted there to be an absolute end to this story. And the end for the Israelites was freedom. And the end for the Egyptians was death. He killed every member of the Egyptian army that day so that the Israelites would never have to fear them again. God's justice was finally served. Pharaoh, who had once tried to drown the Hebrew boys, had led his men into their own watery graves. And you have to know, you have to be aware that just like Pharaoh tried to bring the Israelites back into slavery, the devil will try to bring you back as well. Just because you accept Jesus doesn't mean the enemy has given up trying to take you to hell with him. He will come after you. He will tempt you with the pleasures of sin. He'll whisper words of doubt. But you can also be confident and know that it won't work. With faith in Jesus, no scheme of the enemy could ever take you back into slavery because there is an absolute end to your story too. And we find it in John 10. I give them eternal life. Eternal life is your absolute end if you put your faith in Jesus. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. If you follow Jesus, if you are a child of God, you are in God's hands tonight, tomorrow, the next day, and every single day of your life. And that means that God cares for you. It means he comforts you. It means he provides for you. It means he protects you. And nothing, could snatch you out of God's hands. The Israelites didn't have to fight Pharaoh. There was never a great battle. They just had to follow Moses. And you don't have to fight the devil. You just have to follow Jesus. This sermon tonight is ultimately about salvation. And there might be some people here tonight or watching online who have never given their life to Jesus. They've never accepted the free gift of salvation. Tonight is your night. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes across the room tonight? If you're ready to follow Jesus, to give him your life, to leave your old sinful life behind, your old life of slavery, and walk into your new life full of freedom and victory. Pray this prayer with me. God, we're so grateful for who you are and that you love us. We're thankful that you sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life so that he could die on the cross for our sins so that he could die on the cross and pay the price of my sins. And tonight, I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. You would cleanse me. You would make me clean. That I am starting my new life in Jesus right now. And from this day on, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you stand with me tonight? Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you are struggling to overcome. Maybe you have fear or doubt or worry in your life. Whatever it is, God wants to set you free. So as we worship tonight, let's lay all of those things at the feet of Jesus. Let's raise our hands and sing out to God and declare that he is good. He is faithful. And because of him and his love, I stand in victory today. We are worshiping a great risen Savior. So let's sing with all of our hearts and worship him together tonight. Come on, let's